Hello, welcome to Control Intelligence, a control design podcast that goes deep inside the automation and technology that machine builders, system integrators, and end users rely on to keep production humming efficiently. I'm Mike Bassador, Editor-in-Chief of Control Design, and in this episode, I'm joined by Damon Thompson, Senior Software Product Manager at Beckoff USA. Damon leads the Beckoff Software Product Management team in the United States, focusing on advanced automation and control software, TwinCAT 3. Additionally, he advocates for innovation in manufacturing using technology enabled by the convergence of industrial automation technology with IT and computer science technologies. A seasoned presenter on new automation technologies, Damon has also led numerous technological initiatives at Beckoff USA, including the support of innovative concepts such as Industry 4.0, Industrial Internet of Things, Edge Computing, and cloud-connected manufacturing systems. He's achieved more than two decades of success in automation and industrial controls applications. This experience extends internationally while living and working in Switzerland, during which time he was part of a new technologies group for a multinational medical device manufacturer. This group researched and built machines deployed for advanced manufacturing of various medical devices. Damon's a graduate of Regis University in Denver, and he holds two Bachelor of Science degrees, one in computer information systems and one in computer science. IoT and analytics have been hot topics in the engineering community for many years, and we've moved well beyond theoretical discussions and into applied technologies in the field, especially for large end users. However, there are still many machine builders who may not know where to start on the path to connected machines or about easy to use tools to analyze machine data and find insights. In this episode, I'll ask Damon to talk about how machine builders can get off on the right foot in this journey and about analytics as a way to establish compelling competitive advantages to optimize machine efficiency and even to create new revenue streams. Damon, Thanks for joining us to talk about the industrial internet of things and analytics, especially how to get started and connect to data, given many organizations restrictions on access. Yeah, thanks Mike for having me. That was great, great intro. Thanks for that. I'm excited to be talking about this, uh, this topic with you. Awesome. Well, let's kick right into it then. The internet of things or industrial internet of things and analytics, that's like I said, that's been a very hot topic in automation for some years now. So what are you seeing in terms of the current adoption and implementation of the Internet of Things? Oh, yeah. So you're right. It has been a hot topic for seven or so years, maybe a little longer. And it right. was uh, it was the topic there for a while. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, like everybody that listens to this podcast, I'm sure, has been through the beginnings of this was just figuring out what do we do? This is hot. Everybody's talking about it. What do we do? Um, mm-hmm. And now it's really boiling out. I mean, there's real projects um, and we've been for some years having some real projects with real successes. And we see this break into kind of three different groups. There's the the end users and especially the large end users that are really kind of pushing it. And they they see the value. They have the resources and the dollars to put behind the big projects. Uh, and they're really they're doing it. Um, the machine builders are sort of trying to figure out how to um, support that. So when they supply a machine into that end user that it supports the infrastructure uh, and they're looking for their own goals of, you know, how can they how can they use this to help the end users and create some business model and revenue stream for them? 
the integrators have found some some success there with integrating and helping the end users in, you know implement new hardware or the infrastructure to make it happen. Um, but they're also looking for ways to kind of turn this into a revenue stream. You know, how can they how can they do that and not just a sort of job based stuff? Mm-hmm. So there's there are things going on. Right, right. So with that advanced with the, I mean, there must be barriers to entry for a lot of these companies. What what would those be uh, for starting, say, an IoT or an analytics project? Is it I mean, is it mostly the connectivity aspect or is there something else? Yeah. So in the beginning days, that was a big conversation. You know, the getting started first step was, well, I got to connect my machine. Um, we don't see that too much anymore. You know, it, it, from back offside, you know, we looked at this years ago and said, all right, hey, we, we deal with a lot of integrators and OEMs and we want to help them be successful at their end customer. And their end customer may have completely different infrastructure, right? They may have internal systems. They may have cloud systems. They may use a bunch of different things. So so we said, well, let's let's kind of build out our offering so that we can have our machine builder customers and integrator customers really support any infrastructure the end user is using directly from the controller. Uh, so that's kind of what, what we went after. And the other one we said is, you know, we offer all these field buses and um, connectivity to DeviceNet or ProfiNet, um, uh, yeah, can open, um, you know, anything. Uh, so we can really bridge those to any of these IoT infrastructures. So we built that out so that we could use our controllers as a gateway for existing stuff too, sort of brownfield. So, hey, I want to pull something from DeviceNet and post it to Twitter. No problem. All that's built into our controller, actually. It's kind of cool. So connectivity's kind of taken off um, uh, where I think that's really not the barrier to entry anymore. Uh, I think it more is defining the business use cases behind it. Okay. So does that connectivity, does that include the remote access to the machines then? Yeah, it's a good good question. And that's one of the really common questions is, hey, with all this IoT stuff, you know, can I get on the machine and, and access problems and fix things faster and push updates? Uh, and it really depends on the infrastructure. So, you know, if if, uh, if an end user says, hey, you know, there's no connectivity to the Internet, to the cloud for my machine, um, then, yeah, of course, there's there's connectivity within the the uh, network. If they allow that that inf- that uh, connectivity to the Internet, then absolutely the, the same uh, connectivity, the same MQTT protocol or transport path that you're using to send data. Um, from our standpoint, in fact, off, we can absolutely have the OEM jump on with the development tools, do debugging, download new code, you know, really help without having to put somebody on an airplane. And all that infrastructure is already in place, and you really just uh, set up some secure con- communications, and away you go. So, yeah, once there's that establishment to the cloud, then yeah, remote access, remote support is definitely definitely an option and built in. Well, it sounds like you've thought two or three steps ahead for some of what some of these barriers might have been in the first place, right? Yeah, yeah, really, really sat and evaluated, right? Like, you know, hey, this is going to go into different infrastructures. How do we really support this? Right. So, yeah. So some some end users, like you said, don't they? I mean, they don't allow the network connectivity, especially to the cloud. Uh, with every end user having different kinds of requirements, how, I, I mean, you touched on this a little bit, but but the machine builders are kind of the go-between there. How how can they still take advantage of the data analytics? Yeah, another very common question we get and. You know, like the IoT connectivity side where we said, okay, hey, our, our machine builder customers need to be able to support all these different things. We did the same when we looked at our analytics offerings. We said, you know, it's 
it's not just a, a multinational, you know, huge end user that's a producer and they need some really massive um, uh, IoT solution that lives in the server room and there's teams of people working on this. We think that analyzing data really happens even at the machine builder and analyzing data happens with the controls engineer while they're building and developing that machine. Um, so, you know, for decades, we've had uh, the ability to be able to, you know, visualize the data coming out of a controller. And so the next step to that was, well, we want to be able to answer questions, right? So not just, you know, what is the current vibration, but what was the, the maximum minimum? Where was I when the vibration happened? What step of the PLC code it was in? So what we did was build out kind of a suite of analytics products that start with, you know, running on a laptop, on a controls engineer's laptop. They can look at data live off the machine and run it through about 90 plus algorithms uh, to figure out what the frequency is, you know, what's going on in the machine to do a few things. You know, one is, you know, find issues so that they can they can find bugs in their code and get that machine out the door quicker. And the mm -hmm. second one is optimizing. So doing like things like uh, timing analysis. So I want to make that machine faster than my competitor's machine. I need a good set of tools and a toolbox to do some some analytics to figure out where in the program can I squeeze out a few seconds or, hey, um, the example I give a lot is I have this machine with a loading sequence and the loading sequence takes between one and say six seconds. And you go, well, why? So you need a good set of tools that help you figure out how do I make that more consistent? Because my customer really wants this to happen at one minute, one second, right? Not one to six and sort of load parts. Um, right. So we sort of enabled it that point, which takes no connectivity. Then the, the next part of that is we thought, all right, that's great. Sitting at the machine, you know, optimizing it. What happens then when I'm the OEM and I ship the machine to the end user and the end user says, hey, I got this weird behavior. Okay, great. Um, and if as you know, I used to build machines before I worked at Beckoff and you'd get this call, you know, it, the first thing in the morning, they said, Hey, by the way, your machine at two in the morning last night, it did something weird. And you're like, cool, send me the, um, the log file. And there's a bunch of error messages and things. And, and you're looking at it going, I don't know, it missed the sensor 10 times. I have no idea why I did that. And so right. at that point you're thinking, do I send somebody on site? Like, what do, what do we do here? So the, the next time, the next thing we said was, all right, no connectivity, no co hooking up to anything. Uh, we enabled in the controllers, we can turn on what we call a, a like a logger, but it's kind of the, we call it the machine flight recorder. And, right. and really you're logging almost every, or you could every PLC cycles worth of data, motion control field bus for something like 24 hours, you know, 48 hours. And then when there's a problem, you can tell the end user, hey, send me that file. And then mm -hmm. I can use that same, you know, analytics toolbox or the workbench uh, to go through and figure out what happened or same same scenario where they say hey your machine's not really consistent cycle here you know it's not producing parts consistently usually what do you do you go i don't know send a guy on site take a look but with a flight recorder file you can really get back at your engineer's desk at the oem site and say okay let's let's take a look at what's going on they may make a code change and just push the code change to them remotely so so there's a there's a lot of options there for for those guys that you know not just a cloud solution or an enterprise end user solution, but there's a there's a lot of looking and analyzing data um, from an OEM standpoint. Yeah, that, there's a lot to unpack in that answer that you just gave. <laughs> this, the, well, I mean, just on the on the the analytics side and the troubleshooting side, uh, I mean, that is almost tailor made for machine builders who are interested in offering, say, production, you know, subscription based production or mm -hmm. Um, you know, whatever they want to production as a service or equipment as whatever they want to call it, you know, just to be able to implement the machinery and then maintain the machinery remotely. And then the end user just pays a monthly, yeah. yearly, semi-annual fee based on 
how much they use, and then you can optimize the machinery. And and going back to that first part of your answer, the optimization is really where I think a lot of the advancements or a lot of the, the potential for uh, a lot of this uh, remote analytics exists. Because, yeah, we can do predictive maintenance remotely. Some companies aren't doing that already, but that's great. We can save money, reduce downtime, blah, blah, blah. But it's really that fine tuning for the for the operations and for making the machine operate at a more efficient level and reduce energy costs, balance exactly. loads, so much of that. And on the, on that same thread, you're totally right. So the way we architected that was, you know, from the OEM kind of you know carrying the story forward here. You know, mm-hmm. now they're using that same set of uh, toolbox, workbench, um, and like you mentioned, some of the value add for the OEM might be, hey, I want to I want to have a dashboard that says how are your machines running, OEE, that kind of stuff. That right. same toolbox from us, um, really, once you build that up with this drag and drop, and even browsing variables in the controllers and dragging them into algorithms and dragging mm-hmm. results of the algorithms and other ones, you can kind of hit a button that says deploy. Um, and what it does is it generates out, you know, code actually written in PLC code that can run on a server, run on a controller and a dashboard, which is completely auto generated and built in our HMI software so that you can do 24 seven monitoring and OEE and all that, you know, predictive maintenance and all of that running on constant live data and go back and say, hey, you know, what was the OEE, you know, yesterday between 6 a.m. and 12, you know, right. what was the vibration on this motor between noon and one yesterday? We generate all those things in PLC and HMI because that's what the controls engineers know, right? Um, right. You know, that's that's kind of the the base of who's using this stuff. Yeah, for for the most part, yeah. I, but I, and I'm sure you know too. Uh, that is changing over time, mm-hmm. and that's a, actually a great segue into the next question that I have, because especially with computer languages becoming much more common. And a lot of these organizations are even moving. They're looking for low-code or no-code programming ex- examples uh, for sure. So what kind of skill set or programming knowledge does someone need in order to implement some of the scenarios that you're talking about? Yeah, yeah. It's a good question. So, you know, as we know, the whole industry is um, there's kind of a skilled labor shortage, right? You know, you talk to any of our integrators and, and they, they have a hard time finding guys uh, to, to fulfill the needs in the market at the moment. And you're, you're totally right. So we, we designed this, the analytics products, you know, our, our workbench or the service tool, we call it, with drag and drop, uh, basically no code configuration, and you're browsing and dropping. And then you can even take things like optimizing machine where you get a timestamp, you can drag it down into a nice graphical um, view of all the, the data and say, okay, I can see exactly where this is happening in graphs. Mm-hmm. And then, then instead of having to sit down and code some of this stuff, you just say, hey, I want to generate, and it generates out all of the code that you need that you can just run untouched. Um, and we like the idea that you give the flexibility of the drag and drop environment plus the the code generated in the background because mm-hmm. then you can add a lot of things to it that says, hey, you know, not only do I want to see this on a dashboard, but I also want to send it somewhere else to a database. I also would like to format it in a different way. I would also like to do some extra things. It's, it's a code that a PLC programmer knows like structured text that they can add that functionality to it. So sure. it's kind of nice. Yeah, absolutely. So so on the on, you know, on the other side, though. Are OEMs or integrators going to need someone with with a new skill set outside of what current controls engineers or programmers have in order to accomplish any of these? Yes, and no. <laughs> so <really> the <laughs> easy answer. Next question. No, I'm just uh, the uh, 
No, so we we really built all that analytics toolbox into the same environment as um, even the same project actually in is like the PLC programming environment, motion control, field bus setup. So anybody that's kind of familiar with controls or especially you know the the Beckoff TwinCat software, it's um, it's in that same thing. Uh, and because it's drag and drop and generates out standardized I six eleven thirty one code and HMI code, uh, it's not really like it's completely different world and completely different environment, which is great because. I mean, I, I know at the moment, you know, every OEM and integrator's got plenty of stuff to do. The last thing they need is to try to go figure out somebody with a new skill set, integrating them into the company, grab, right. you know, grab a whole new platform. Uh, so I think this this really, you know, as I think Beckoff usually does over over the last decades, we sort of take a little bit different look at the technology in the market than what everybody else is doing. A little, a little more innovation there. Um, and I think we've done the same thing with our analytics suite. Absolutely. Totally agree. So... What about these uh, th- these larger companies uh, that we were talking about before? What happens in in cases where, or or, or even say an end user, uh, they already have uh, their own large uh, or or mature analytics solution like an Amazon Web Services or Azure or SAP? Yeah, it's uh, another another common question we get because they say, oh, you know, we standardize on, you know, whatever it might be, Azure, and, and that's what we use for our, our corporate, you know, how are our factory running kind of dashboard. And you say, yeah, that's great. You know, that's that's a great solution. Never, ever would we want to try to displace that. Um, but we we think that there there is a place to sort of augment that. And um, yeah, oh, I guess I'll explain that a little bit. So, you know, I, there could be many solutions out there to look at, you know, OEE, you know, how's the machine running, how much downtime. But I wouldn't call it really, you know, high fidelity or high speed data collection. Um, a lot of things, you know, even a lot of the machine learning algorithms in the cloud provided by, say, AWS work very well. Uh, but they're looking for about one second resolution in the data. And and really, they want you to collect for 90 days to a year. And then they'll run it through like a kind of machine learning algorithm and, and go through that. Yeah. And that's that's great. That's great. Um, but what happens sometimes is, you know, if you're if the OEMs trying to figure out some weird behavior in the machine or really optimize to really tweak out as many products as they possibly can, that's not at a one second level. Generally, that's looking at things at a much lower level. So, for example, if your PLC is running at one millisecond, that's a thousand times it's run through that logic and, and possibly a thousand times it's updated the I.O. per every one second. So. So what what um, we've had some customers do really successfully is um, is implement where they say okay let's let's send that data at very high resolutions and very compressed into kind of an analytics server running on site or even in the same machine and then we can store off that high resolution data for say 24 hours 48 hours but in the meantime be calculating like you know maybe a, a boolean that toggles you know several times a second. You know, I don't think the higher level systems care, you know, when exactly it toggled. What they care about is, hey, in the last second or the last five seconds, this thing's gone this many times. And probably they don't even care about that. They care about in the last five seconds, 10 seconds, 30 seconds, this is how many products went by my photo eye, for example. Mm-hmm. So right. that it's a, kind of an edge compute use case where you're saying, all right, I want to store the high fidelity, so the high speed data for optimization, uh, you know, figuring out problems. And at the same time, I can absolutely still pass that data along to the existing infrastructure at whatever update rates the, and whatever format that they're looking for. So, so there's a there's kind of a good a good balance there. And I don't see a lot of people in the market thinking down at that level of, hey, we're already connecting the machine, we're already collecting data. What if we can also use it at a little higher speed to optimize, find problems, and give you all the insights and OEE and dashboard that you're looking for? 
seems to be a missing thing there that, that I think we're fulfilling. Right. Yes. So, I mean, I think that kind of addresses the next thing I wanted to ask you about, which were opportunities that OEMs might have to offer uh, kinds of analytics as a value add. Are there any others? Yeah. So some of the value adds things that, uh, that we've seen and helped implement uh, a couple different strategies. So, you know, one is that that customer that says, well, you know, my machine's definitely not getting a direct connection to the machine or to the to the cloud, uh, not even through a gateway. You know, I just don't want to take the security risk. Great. Um, sometimes, you know, the OEMs ask us, you know, hey, I got shut down. I can't connect. And you think, well, no, actually, you can put into the facility like we have one customer that they say, if you buy one machine from me in in, in your facility, and you add the analytics option, I'll embed a, a PC in the machine cabinet if you'd like, that then looks at all the analytics for that machine, gives you an, a dashboard. And then if you buy two machines from me, 10 machines, 50 machines from me, you already have the, the kind of the analytics runtime server or PC, and we'll just connect those up and have them as more you know, data points or, or more um, endpoints for the machine to be collected. And they automatically kind of show up on the dashboard as well. So uh, that's offering it kind of built into the end user's facility and, and, and adding some value there. Uh, the OEM can come in and, and update those occasionally if they need new things. The mm -hmm. added value to that is what we just talked about. It's on that same analytics server looking at the algorithms. I can be storing that high-speed data. So if there's ever a problem on any of their machines, we can say, okay, go in, cut out that that hour's worth of weird behavior, send it over to my engineer. We'll get you addressed you know, pretty quickly. We'll figure out what's going on. So there's some value there. Then, you know, obviously, if they have cloud connectivity, we can take that and just scale it up so that each one of their end users can have a portal. They log in and look at how their machines are running in their facility. Uh, there's quite a few different infrastructures that can be can be laid out. But there's definitely some some potential for the OEMs, whether there's connectivity to the cloud or not. Right. OK, so that that kind of made me start to think about these with these algorithms being used to yes, as machine learning tools and potentially developing some sort of artificial intelligence even that can make those decisions for you rather than even bring it back to the machine builder level. But that brings me to my last question more so than anything, which is what what are some of the new or future technologies uh, that are going to come into play in these areas? Yeah. So you're, you're completely right. There's um, uh, so yeah, I'll back up a little bit. So in, in the kind of our analytics toolbox with the drag and drop, you know, I, like I mentioned, there's 90 something algorithms at the moment. Mm -hmm. And we built in a way that uh, you can also add whatever. So if you come up with, hey, I know my specific piece of equipment or my specific line. Great. You can implement something in C++, add it to the drag and drop. Everybody in the company can use it. Cool. Mm -hmm. Then the next step to that is, uh, like you said, it's kind of machine learning um, at the moment for I don't know, a couple years now. Um, we've had the ability to train a machine learning model and really put it in the controller and run that machine learning model in real time. Uh, and the idea is, you know, hey, maybe there's a, a complex motion or there's some decision that ends up taking 10 to 15 things into consideration. And to write that by hand would be, you know, crazy to write hand write that algorithm. So, yeah, we can embed that into the PLC. So what we developed is using that same technology to say if you train an algorithm, we can drop that into that analytics toolbox. And then from there, maybe your guys that aren't machine learning experts can just drag and drop that and use that in their machine learning algorithm. And that might, or sorry, in their analytics uh, toolbox, using that as either an, a machine optimization. So either at the OEM using machine learning to help them figure out how to optimize 
or at the end user uh, site looking at machine learning for you know maybe predictive maintenance for example looking at vibration to figure out maybe when a rotating motor is going to fail things like that so you you are right we're the Machine learning will get more and more common in, in industry in, in, in two ways, right? One, running on the analytics side, which we hear a lot about today. And the other one is um, that we've been doing for a while is running it actually in the controller and calling the machine learning algorithms from PLC, ladder logic even. So ma- machine learning really is the future on in a lot of aspects of, uh, con- of industrial controls and IoT analytics. Yeah, I mean, that's mind-blowing. It's, it's, it's even beyond um, that old Home Depot. The easy, remember the easy button? Yeah, <laughs> hit the easy button and it would do it like you don't even have to hit the button. It it already hits the button for you. Yeah. After somebody trains the model. Yep. <laughs> right. right, right. After somebody it. trains the button to hit itself. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Then it does it for you. Wow. Yeah, that's yeah, absolutely amazing. All right. Well, I know you've got other things to do, so uh, I don't want to take up all your time. But thank you so much, Damon, for taking the time to talk this afternoon. Uh, that's certainly some very sound advice on connecting data and unlocking new opportunities and some just wild progressive steps forward in terms of uh, what's possible for machine builders and uh, the end users in order to unlock a lot of that data. Yeah, it was fun. We'll have to do it again someday, Mike. Yeah, absolutely. Next time with a beer. (laughs) Sounds good. (laughs) Yes. All right, well, thanks again, uh, Damon, and thanks to our listeners for joining us today on Control Intelligence.